0: this morning we'll be in James chapter 5. Before we read there, I just wanted to discuss medical procedures with you. Um, Medical procedures or dental procedures, sometimes people have these kinds of things done, right? Um, And many times these kind of procedures can be quite painful, right? Um, So why do people go through them? Why do people submit themselves to medical procedures or dental procedures that can be quite painful? Well, usually the reason is because the people going through them believe the outcome is going to be better than and and worth the pain that they're going through and the suffering. Uh, I I remember uh, years ago I have uh, sleep apnea and allergies, and so I agreed to go through a surgery process that involved uh, thinning out some nasal tissue and uh, it, it taking out the tonsils as well, all of which I believe would help me breathe better, and I believe that has had some positive impact. But there was a lot of pain for a couple of weeks in recovering from that kind of surgery. So sometimes in medical procedures, dental procedures, will submit to pain because we're convinced the outcome of that is going to be better than the pain and suffering we're going through at the moment. Well, as we talk about James chapter five and verses seven to 12, we're gonna talk about pain and suffering. And the encouragement from James is to recognize the Lord uses pain and suffering in our lives, but it's temporary. And we need to, instead of succumbing to the frustration or the uh, temptations that happen during the pain and suffering, we need to look forward to the Lord's coming and recognize God has a purpose for this pain and suffering in our lives and graciously endure it. So let's look at verses 7 to 12 this morning and see how James challenges us in this way. It says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Uh, Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we... Uh, talk about this more. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you, Father, that you shed light on pain and suffering because it's a part of this world. Even the unsaved recognize that. We thank you, Father, that we have your scriptures that encourage us, that gives us insight about these things and the benefits you bring in our lives through them and the knowledge that it's temporary and that we look forward as believers in Jesus Christ to the day when our Lord will return and that we'll have uh, uh, all tears wiped away, eventually we're told in Revelation. Uh, We look forward to the end of pain and suffering. Father, we thank you that the word gives us encouragement about that, but we also pray you use your word to challenge us in the midst of the pain and suffering that we're experiencing to respond the right way. To be gracious, to be patient, to persevere in our faith, and to not let the pain and suffering we experience turn us away from you, but rather draw us closer to you. And we pray that you'd encourage us with your word this morning. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to talk about pain and suffering, always a wonderful, bubbly, joyful topic, right? But we know that God has purpose in pain and suffering and that ultimately it is temporary. But we are encouraged in the book of James here to recognize that there is pain and suffering, but there's a purpose in it and that it is temporary. Now we saw last week, if you were here last week, we talked about how in James five, one through six, he described the judgment that's coming on the rich that are unbelieving rich, so it's not just against anyone who has money, but the idea is the unbelieving rich, when our Lord returns, they are going to receive the judgment that they deserve. Now James, in writing to the believers and mentioning this, is pointing out that many of them are suffering at the hands of these unbelieving rich, And he is then encouraging them in verses seven through 12 to respond correctly to that suffering, that persecution that they're experiencing at the hands of the rich. Now, the the focus seems to be largely here, the persecution that James has in mind based on what he said at the beginning of chapter five. But I'd also uh, encourage you to recognize the suffering that James is talking about is beyond just persecution. And I would encourage you to look with me at verse 11 to, to demonstrate that. He talks about Job. He uses Job as an example. He says, you know, the, the, uh, you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So though he is largely talking about persecution and the suffering that happens as a result of that, He also has in mind a broader view of suffering that we experience as Christians, some of which may simply be trials that God brings into our lives that we don't understand. And that was certainly the case with Job. We have the privilege of revelation to understand that Satan went to God and God said, have you considered my servant Job? Job didn't know those things when he was experiencing all of that. He just experienced all of this loss and it was difficult and hard. And he graciously endured. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But we see here suffering is a part of the human experience. And specifically, it's an especial part of the Christian life. There are a lot of people who preach a gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. But that's a false gospel. We're told that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution as a believer in Jesus Christ we are going to experience pain and suffering and the call of God on our lives is to respond to it patiently to endure it graciously so let's look at verse 7 and and verse 8 where James encourages us to patiently endure the suffering to the end to the end so I want to point out first of all in verse 7 he is referencing what he said previously in verses 1 and 6 and pointing out that there is coming justice. Notice he says in verse 7, therefore, be patient, brethren, the therefore connecting what we talked about in verses 1 through 6 last week. They were experiencing as poor believers in their communities, they are experiencing the persecution of rich landowners who didn't pay their wages like they were supposed to pay, and they were experiencing hardship and suffering because of those kinds of people. And James has pointed out, though, that God is going to judge. God is going to deal with those people. But he points out that that ultimately is going to happen at the judgment when Christ returns. So he's not promising them deliverance. He's not promising them that your life's going to get better in a couple weeks. Just keep praying. Um, And they should pray. I mean, God does sometimes change people's hearts. But ultimately, James is anchoring their focus on the coming of Christ. That's what we ultimately need to look to for the resolution and for what we strive to endure is until the end when Christ returns for his children. James is encouraging them to continue because they can have confidence that justice is coming. Are are you like me and sometimes you watch the news and you get frustrated about the resolution of things? Sometimes the police manage to catch the right person and they go through the justice system and they either get a very light sentence or they get off because of some technicality, right? Or in cases we have, we have some cases where laws are made that are too, too light or easy on people. Or they make legal things that should be legal, right? Don't you many times as a believer in Jesus Christ watch the news and get frustrated with what you see at the injustice in the world? It's there. It's it's there. It happens because there is sin in this world and the encouragement from the book of James, God's encouragement to us is that when Christ returns, he will judge the earth. He will resolve the matters that are unresolved. He will bring justice. But if we're expecting all of that to be resolved in this life now, we're going to be very frustrated and discouraged. And overwhelmed James says justice is coming we need to look to the Lord and be faithful to continue patiently until the end he also encourages them uh, and and we're encouraged that he's focused on the Christian audience here he had been talking in verses 1 through 6 to the unbelieving rich in verse 1 he says come now you rich and we talked about that last week about how that is a focus on the unbelieving rich But he makes clear throughout this passage in verse 7 and uh, multiple other verses, he says, brethren, he is talking here to believers. He is encouraging the believers in light of what he said previously, that they need to continue. They need to be faithful. They need to keep on serving the Lord. They need to persevere in their faith. And he is therefore expecting a good outcome in response to what he's saying from them because they are Fellow believers. So we see the audience. He's talking to fellow Christians. We also see he is uh, challenging them to continue. The word here is be patient. Be patient. In our usage of that word uh, in our day and age, it tends to be a focus on uh, just having a calm demeanor and being nice to people that aren't nice to you or, or just uh, waiting for something. But I believe the idea is more that of bearing up under provocation provocation or attack, or someone's inciting you or, or attacking you, trying to provoke you. The idea is that we're to bear up under those kinds of struggles without complaint, graciously enduring the hardship and difficulties of life, whether that be persecution that we experience from unbelievers Or the suffering in the normal course of life that we experience. We're to bear up under that, patiently to endure it, and the idea is that we endure it by continuing in the faith. There is a tendency, there's there's cases, there's many cases where people go through hard times and difficulties and they supposedly believed in the Lord, but when hard times and difficulties come, they turn away. And I I believe what we understand from the scriptures is those situations are a revealer of the true nature of people's faith. And we talked about that earlier in the book of James as well, that true faith will persevere, it will endure. And that's what James is calling them to do here, to persevere in their faith In spite of these difficulties and hardships that they are facing, they are to continue. They are to patiently keep serving the Lord and not turn away from him. It is, I believe, a recognition as well that they, as believers, have started well. They have trusted Christ. There is some evidence of faith, and he's encouraging them to continue in the faith, to persevere, and not give in to the temptation to give up. We read in the Gospels about the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, one of the soils that our Lord describes is that of the rocky ground. And the rocky ground, he says, are those that initially receive the gospel with joy, but then because they don't have root within themselves, persecution comes and they turn away. I believe this is exactly what James is counteracting, that kind of response. Those that, in the midst of persecution and difficulty, turn away, ultimately revealing they weren't genuine believers. But James is encouraging them as believers to continue to keep serving the Lord to not turn away in spite of that hardship and that difficulty that they are experiencing. But I believe there is also an indication that this kind of continuing, this kind of persevering, also is with the right attitude, right? It's not just continuing, but you're you're, uh, authorized to be a miserable soul. Have you ever known anybody, maybe in the workplace or extended family member, who has gone through really hard times and really difficult things, But they're completely bitter and sour about everything and always complaining about it. And everyone knows, and maybe you feel bad for the person, but yet their attitude is horrible through it. That's not what James is encouraging here at all. He's talking about responding graciously, having Christ-like response to the suffering and things that we go through. Continuing to trust in the Lord, because that kind of attitude ultimately is unbelief, right? It's a lack of faith. It's, it's a lack of faith to see that God has some purpose in this that's better beyond what you're able to see. We need to respond the right way and continue, as James, ur- James urges us here, continue. But we also see the length of time we're to continue is until the coming of the Lord. He says, therefore, be pray- patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. When we talk about medical procedures, we talk about dental procedures, there's typically a very clear beginning and end to those types of painful things, right? The suffering we experience in this life may not be that way. James does not say, hey, just hang on for a few more days and that problem you're having, that persecution you're experiencing, that's gonna go away. No, the challenges persevere until the Lord comes. You, The circumstances may not change. You may continue to endure this the rest of your life, but your obligation is not that you're seeking to escape it, though not wrong to pray for that, but God may not do that. The response is that we are to be faithful to the Lord until he comes. There's many exhortations in the gospel about The Lord finding us faithful when he returns. That's what James is urging for. Us to be faithful until the Lord returns. We need to continue to serve him. And we need to be focused on the finish line. A a few years ago, uh, I lived in the city of Flint. And if you're familiar with the city of Flint, one of the big activities they do in Flint is they have a race. And uh, One year I decided I was going to try to prepare for that race um, And uh, end up injuring my knee. I didn't get to run that year, um, but then a year or two later um, decided to try again my my uh, uh, Son wanted to run and we we worked on it together trained together and uh, we decided to uh, run in the crim and, and we did and one of the things we did in preparation is we'd run uh, you know uh, long we, we would run every day for two or three miles And then on a Friday we would choose a longer length and we would work our way up eventually To ten miles what was interesting was the nine mile day was actually the hardest But uh, then we did ten and that was right before the race. So I thought hey, we've done ten um, this, this isn't gonna be so bad. Well the day we had the race. It was a very hot day and the terrain that we ran the race on was different than what we'd been practicing on. There were more hills, uh, up and down than we're used to. But I remember how difficult and grueling it was just to I, just a slow jog. I wasn't in great shape, um, but um, going through that race, and I remember getting to mile eight and thinking, I, "I don't know if I can keep going. This is terrible. I I am struggling. I'm thirsty. I'm." I'm tired, I'm worn out. And then I remember we get to mile nine, and then we get to mile 10. And on mile 10, you get to the main street. And as you turn onto the main street, you can see real big that finish line. And seeing that finish line was such an incredible boost of energy that even though I felt completely drained and dead up to that point, I was able to slightly pick up my speed as I strove towards the finish line and eventually crossed the finish line. James is encouraging us like that to keep our eyes on the finish line. We can get distracted and discouraged very easily if we take our eyes off the finish line. The finish line isn't, as far as we know, tomorrow or the end of the month. I mean, it could be that the Lord comes at that time, but the real finish line is when the Lord returns. And we need to, by God's grace, remain faithful until that time. James uses also here a comparison. He uses a comparison of farming to challenge them as well, to uh, continue. He says, be patient about it, or I'm sorry, he says, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late So he uses a comparison here of a farmer. A farmer, a very basic and uh, probably a very uh, apropos use of an illustration here because something that they probably were doing. They were uh, probably working fields and very familiar with farming. So he uses as an example how, as a farmer, you plant the seed, you you water, you you make sure it has sun, but what do you have to do? You have to wait. that you can't force the product to come early. You have to wait, you have to endure. And you, in doing that, have to just simply, patiently uh, wait for the outcome that you're anticipating. In this case, their farmer is waiting for uh, fruit or vegetables to be produced, and he's patiently waiting, and it's early and late rains they have to wait for. It takes time and the farmer understands this and James encourages them as well. You need to understand it's going to take time and we need to wait patiently uh, for the Lord to return and patiently, faithfully serve him until that time. And then he challenges them after he gives this illustration in verse eight. He challenges them um, after this illustration saying, you too be patient, like the farmer is patient You need to imitate him and be patient and wait. There's nothing you can do but wait in many cases. You don't freak out. You you trust. You wait. You endure. You're faithful. And on the day of Christ, we too will bear fruit. So what's the activity that he says here that they should do in the meantime? They should patiently wait. They should also strengthen their hearts. They should strengthen their hearts. Now, in our American culture... I think we have confused the idea of what a heart means. So I'll just give an example. Uh, We use a heart to talk about things like uh, feelings of of love and affection. Um, But I believe the heart in biblical terminology uh, isn't uh, gushy feelings of love. um, Though feelings do come from the heart, The heart is much more than, I think, a better illustration would actually be more of a mission control center like we see here with NASA. Our heart, from a biblical standpoint, is the center of who we are. It is the place from which our decisions and our desires come from. And when we think about the idea here, then, of strengthening your heart, what James is really saying is deepen your determination to serve faithfully until the Lord returns. In light of the evidence of what he's been saying, he's challenging them to respond by deepening their determination to keep on serving the Lord regardless of what happens. We also should reflect upon that and think about our motivation and our determination to continue to serve the Lord. And he says here also that the Lord is Near. The motivation is that the Lord is near. The wait will soon be over. Now, in one sense, this is hard for us to wrestle with because we look at the book of James and we say, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. How could he say the Lord's return is near when it ended up being 2,000 years? And how do we know if it's going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be 2,000 more years? the reality is we don't know but the idea of the lord being near is that it's imminent it could happen at any time there is nothing we're waiting for to be done before he shows up he is going to return and rapture his church and there aren't activities that we know of there's nothing from the biblical revelation that we're waiting to be fulfilled until that happens it's simply. God's determination on the timing, and we don't know. So James's point here, as he also makes in other verses in the same section, is the Lord could come at any time. So in other words, be ready. Be ready that when the Lord does return, he may find us faithful. That's the goal. So I want to challenge you because this is a challenge to me too and thinking about this. How often are we thinking about the Lord's return? It is supposed to be a huge motivation and encouragement to how we live every day. But how often do we think about it? How often do we reflect upon how great it would be if he were to return today? How often do we pray for that? That's something we should be praying for, that the Lord Jesus would come quickly. And if we're not focused on it, if we're not praying for it, we're certainly not going to be encouraged in the manner in which God is challenging us to be encouraged from this passage. In many cases, the antidote to what we're struggling with is reflection on the Lord's return. We need to be mindful that he is coming. We need to endure to the end. Now, he also mentions here in verses, uh, verse 9 that we also need to be careful to be patient with each other. We need to be gracious in our dealings with one another and continue to serve the Lord Uh, by graciously loving and interacting with one another. Notice in verse 9, he says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Again, the confirmation here of his audience, he's talking to believers. Uh, He had been talking, as we mentioned, to the unbelieving rich previously, but he is clearly addressing believers and encouraging them Not to complain against one another, to treat each other correctly. So the idea is not expressing discontent towards someone or to criticize them unjustly. And given the way he's addressing this, probably reflects the idea of stop complaining against one another. So James is challenging them. In the midst of their persecution in the midst of their suffering, they may be tempted to turn inwardly against one another and attack each other. And he says, don't do that. Continue to be faithful to the Lord, waiting for his return, and be kind to one another. Do not be attacking or uh, turning against one another. I've told you before, one of my favorite sports is football. And I remember watching football, the NFL, many years ago, and a quote from John Madden really stuck out to me. Uh, They were talking about a football team that wasn't doing well. And one of the things they were talking about on that team was all the tension and conflicts that were going on on that team. And what John Madden said at the time was basically, winning cures a lot of ills. In other words, they, they were focused on attacking each other and making excuses or fighting over what was causing the problem. If they were to get together and focus on the right things and successfully win, it would solve a lot of the problems that they're experiencing. We as believers need to be careful that we don't, in the midst of pain and suffering and difficulties that we experience, turn against one another and start tearing each other apart. We're part of the same Team, Or a better explanation actually is we're the same family. We're children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you know Christ, you're brothers and sisters. We should love each other and treat each other that way. And therefore, we should also avoid the judgment. Again, notice he says the judge is standing right at the door. Again, the idea is imminent. Our Lord is coming soon. And you don't want to be guilty of attacking your brother or sister and Christ come and have to deal with you about that. You need to remember the Lord is coming, and you need to love your brother and sister. In fact, Jesus says this is a hallmark of what it means to be a believer, is that you love brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love one another. We're not to complain and attack one another. But when times are rough, We can tend to turn inward and fight. We need to be careful in times of difficulty and suffering, we don't do that. But that we lovingly encourage one another, as Hebrews talks about uh, provoking one another to love and good works, that's what we should be doing with fellow believers, encouraging one another to do what's right and to continue faithfully in spite of the hardships and trials. But James also points out here, we need to uh, look at a couple of examples of suffering. He mentions specific examples, and the idea here in verses 10 and 11, he's talking about models of suffering and patience. So he's, the idea of suffering is misery or misfortune that someone endures, or long suffering, patience, just like we're talking in 7 through 8, bearing up under persecution. And he names two groups he names the prophets, and he names uh, Job as an individual, being the second group I was referring to. But he says in verse 10, as an example, brethren of suffering patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So, first of all, the prophets, they are the ones who spoke the, the, the word of God. They are the ones in the Old Testament, is what he's talking about. The prophets who received divine revelation from God and they communicated that many times that message was given to kings who were in authority, who were going against God's will, and the prophets are calling them to repent or pronouncing judgment upon what they're doing. In fact, if you're gonna be here tonight, we'll see one of those kinds of prophets from 1 Kings 13. But uh, the prophets um, had special revelation from God, they communicated that, but that communication was often unpopular. So it brought persecution. It brought suffering. In some cases, it brought death. But the prophets are an example to the readers, to us as believers looking at this years later. It is an example of those who experienced the grace of God and, and believed in the, uh, God's promise of salvation, but yet faced persecution and, and abuse at the hands of unbelievers. And yet, they persevered in the faith in the midst of that suffering. We're to do the same. We're to do the same. But then he talks here as well about Job. Job, in, in verse 11, he focused on as another model of perseverance in the face of suffering and persecution. In this case, it really is that of suffering. Jane, uh, Job, we won't, we won't turn there, but I believe many of you are familiar with, Job was a very, very rich man. So here's an ex- actually an example of a believing rich person. So we just talked last week about the unbelieving rich. Well, Job was a very rich person who was a believer. In fact, God pointed out how he was an example because of his faithfulness, how he hated or eschewed evil. And yet Satan was given the permission to caused Job trouble and he took Satan took the life of his 10 children and killed many of his animals and much of his uh, earthly goods were destroyed and yet when you see Job's response to all this his immediate response what was it the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord what an amazing example of responding faithfully in the face of unprecedented tr- suffering. An incredible example. Now, you may ask if you really know the story. You may ask, was Job really a good example though? Because as the story goes on, his great friends show up. And I mean, if you read, they do initially listen to him. So we, we give them a hard time as they deserve. Uh, but initially they did listen to him and spend a lot of time with him. But eventually they start accusing Job. This kind of thing would only happen if you've done wrong. So what did you do, Job? What's your sin? What, what's, what sin are you hiding? What have you not confessed? That's why this is happening to you. And if you're, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Job's response was that a frustration with his friends, right? He, he responded to them and, and, and in some cases called them out for what they're doing to him. Um, he also challenged God in some of his responses, questioning why God would do this to him, why, why this terrible suffering was happening. So why is he really a good example of what James is talking about? Clearly he is because James cites him. So I think it's especially helpful in encouraging for us to recognize as believers. Sometimes we're frustrated, we're discouraged about the suffering and pain that we're going through. But what can we say about Job? Ultimately, he never abandoned his faith in God. He says, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job is an incredible example of persevering in the faith, though he did struggle with some complaints at times. He is an incredible example of persevering in the faith, and therefore should be a great encouragement to us how we should respond to trials and difficulties. But notice also, I think this little precious nugget about Job is put in there that is important for us to see. He says, you've heard about Job, you've seen here the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. When you see the beginning of Job's life, you don't immediately think God's merciful. At least that's not how I immediately think of it when he loses ten children and all that stuff. But the point is about the end of the story. Do you know how the story ends with Job? Job gets more stuff back than he had to begin with. At the end, he has more earthly possessions than he did that were destroyed at that time. And you might say, if you're really familiar with the story, you might say, well, there's one exception to that, his children, right? How many children did he have that he lost? Ten. He lost ten children. How many did he get at the end of the story? Ten. But I suggest to you that was double. If they're believers and they're with God, he's got ten more that uh, would, would join him as well. God is gracious. And as we understand the purpose of God, the nature of God, and, experience, and, and thinking about our trials, our suffering, our persecution, we understand the end is better than the beginning or the present. The end is better. So we have to look to the end, to the Lord's coming. That's when ultimately he's going to make it all right. It may be really hard and nasty and difficult now. But we look to the Lord's coming. He is full of compassion and merciful. The end will be better than the beginning. We need to look to the Lord's coming. James also then, I believe, gives one more point here about uh, how they are to respond. The expressions they are to use in communicating. uh, When they're experiencing these kinds of things, they are not to make oaths that they can't keep. He says here in verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. I believe this is a warning here. This is a warning that there can be a temptation in times of persecution and difficulty to make promises you can't keep. So thinking about these readers, how might that apply? Well, that might be in the situation they were poor people and they might be inclined to uh, need something and therefore make an oath about their ability to pay it later and, and then not be able to pay it. James is warning against such things, that they are to simply speak uh, with simple speech, yes or no, in other words, you need to be trustworthy in what you say. What you say is what you should do. You should say yes, uh, keep it simple, not make oaths you can't keep. The point is you need to be trustworthy in your speech. Otherwise, again, James draws attention to that. There, there is judgment. Again, the Lord is coming, and they need to live in light of that. So as we think about trials, suffering, persecution, I think we have some good news and bad news. What would you like first, the good news or the bad news? Well, I'm going to give you the bad news first. The bad news is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer persecution and hardship in this life. You are. You are. But the good news is that it is temporary. And that God uses it for good purposes and that if you are faithful and you persevere in your faith and trust in him and in serving him, you will spend eternity with him and you will be rewarded for that. But how are we viewing our suffering? How are we viewing the persecution we go through? Are we looking at it? as our total consumption with worry and fear and discouragement and anger towards the Lord? Or are we looking to the Lord's coming? See, sometimes he uses the suffering to get our focus off the here and now, to remind us that this world is full of sin, and we look forward to when he returns. So let's set our focus on the Lord's return and look forward to that, when he will ultimately bring justice on the earth, and give us reward for our faithfulness to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us your word. We experience much discouragement. We don't always understand the suffering and persecution we experience. But help us, Father, to turn our thoughts to the return of Christ looking forward to that day when he comes for us. Help us to anticipate that regularly. Help us to pray for that regularly. Help us to remember in the midst of our trials and suffering that you're not abandoning us and you are coming for us. Help us to be encouraged with these words and to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.